everyone. Welcome to another episode of Interview with an Avatar. My name is Tyler. You can find me on Twitter at CrypticGhost2. Uh, If you're new to this podcast, this podcast is a podcast designed to get to know the people behind the avatars that you deal with on a daily basis on Twitter when you talk football. And today I have a very special guest, uh, one of my my close friends. uh, It's actually the first time I've ever talked to him in person. It is Mr. Dan Rupert. Dan, how you doing today, man? I'm alive, brother. You know, been a good day. I'm alive. (laughs) Yeah, we have some technical difficulties here, a couple of restarts and whatnot. So <laughs> it's all good. That all sucks. Good. But so how's your weekend been? Man, so good. Um, like I said earlier, for those who because you missed it, um, yeah, my grandson played soccer this morning. So I went to watch him. Uh, he spent the night last night. Uh, and then we went to watch him do that. And uh, he scored like five goals, which absolutely incredible. But mm-hmm. uh I mean, he's eight. So um yeah, been good. And then we, we went and got some equipment to lift later because I love to lift. Um, so my wife and I got some stuff that we needed for our home gym uh, and came back here and we're going to hang out for a little bit. She's actually getting her hair done right now. So there you go. Yeah. A little bit of bro time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so we'll get this thing kicked off. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, the background of Dan Rupert. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'll go back again uh, to like before I was born. So I my dad was born in Germany in 1940, actually, during World War II. Um, they immigrated after the war, uh, once they could kind of get out. Now, my family, some of my family had already been to the States. Uh, for those who are Yankees fans, recognize my last name. Uh, Jacob Rupert actually used to own the Yankees. It's like some distant cousin or something. Uh, so, my, you know, we had part of the family here. They immigrated in the early 50s. And then... Uh, I was born in 75 after my dad had joined the Air Force and gotten married. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I was born in 75 in Ohio and um, we traveled around. You know, we went from Ohio to California, California, Alabama, Alabama, New Jersey. Uh, my parents divorced uh, fourth grade, fifth grade, start of the fifth grade year. And um, my mom stayed in New Jersey. And so I stayed with her there. Uh, just outside of Trent, New Jersey. My dad was, you know, Air Force Station at McGuire. He went back to Ohio, actually, got reassigned there. And I stayed until 1996. I graduated in 93. and 96, I joined the Army, uh, headed to North Carolina, did my my time there. Um, you know, it was the only place I, I could be stationed except for the year in language school in D.C. at DLI East, uh, not West. Yes, there is an East. And um, I learned Indonesian. And so after that, I, uh, after I got out, uh, my time in the military got out, my wife and I at the time were having, we were having some issues ourselves. Uh, so we moved, well, first we moved somewhere in North Carolina for about a year, and then we moved to Maryland. Um, and we struggled and struggled and struggled. And I struggled to find like real work um, the whole time I was out because I didn't, I hadn't finished my degree. Uh, my skills were very um, specified to military life. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, with my injuries, I couldn't necessarily do some of the, like, you know, I could never work for the police. I couldn't work for the CIA. Like I couldn't do certain jobs um, that maybe most others could if they weren't injured. You know, I'd had spinal surgery and shoulder surgeries needed and elbows and just a lot of damage. And so, um, I mean, you know, it was rough. It was really rough. Um, I found a DOD position that I got accepted for uh, as a GS. Well, first was GS 13 and I got to GS 15 um, and I was running anthropology teams 
uh, and doing research, anthropological research, which uh, ended up getting me published. Um, our team got published uh, as a, an anthropological research that we did overseas. Okay. And um, my, at that time, my wife and I had, had were going to divorce. She had moved to California. Um, I was in Kansas City for training. I met my current wife while I was in training. And uh, when I got back from Afghanistan the last time, she, uh, she had moved to Dallas. And so I kind of just straight up asked her, like, move in with you. Let's try this. And uh, we're still married today. You know, she's getting her hair, hair, hair did. And, you know, she, uh, her and I have, you know, between us, we have five kids. We have the grandson. We have a granddaughter on the way with my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, and then some more probably on the near future. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think, you know, but yep. here I am, I'm almost 50 years old and, you know, still, still going strong. So, yeah, you lived, you lived a very adventurous life. You know? <laughs> I've tried. I've yep, tried. So we'll, we'll get to that. So unintentionally you know, sometimes, but I've tried. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you said you moved around a lot. So were you able to play sports as you were growing up? I did. So because my parents, because by the time I had gotten to New Jersey, I was, I was really kind of starting elementary school. Right. So I got the chance to kind of stay with the same people in the, in the same area and play. So I played soccer, uh, baseball, I was a pitcher in baseball. I, I tried out for the Phillies, um, 1994 or five, it would have been, uh, I got to try out with the Phillies. I was a junk pitcher, you know, knuckleballs and sliders. In fact, um, I have an autographed bat from Dale Murphy because when I went for my tryout, I actually had to pitch to Dale Murphy. There you go. They're the old, old school guys who knew Dale Murphy is. Um, and he got really mad at me because I threw a knuckleball and you know, you, you, you kind of don't do that. Right. Uh, the unwritten rules of baseball kind of a thing. And he, he told me if I did that again, he was going to charge the mound. And I threw a second, second knuckleball. And uh, afterwards he, um, he walks up to me and he takes his bat and he signs and he's like, that took balls. You know, like he, he was not happy, but at the same time, he was just like, you know, I know you're, you're trying to make a team essentially. So I didn't make it. Uh, they wanted a, a pitcher. They wanted more pitchers, especially in the early nineties were like hundred mile an hour, 95 mile an hour. Yeah. That was not my style. So they told me to work on the fastball, come back the next year. And by then I was joining the army and, you know, getting ready to leave for basic. And, uh, I did, you know, so yeah, I played sports, uh, soccer. I was really good at soccer. Uh, especially as goalie, even though it wasn't my favorite position, I was really good at it. Um, I played football. Um, I played, I mean, I tennis, golf, I, skiing, you, you name it kind of a thing. I never tried ice hockey, um, but I was just that kid that if I tried a sport, I had the athleticism to pick it up really, really fast and be really good at whatever sport I was doing. I had the speed, I had the athleticism, I could control my body really well. I you know, I was fit. And so, um, that really helped me. It ended up helping me later, especially in the military, um, having those abilities and being that type of person. But, um, yeah, I, I played a lot of sports. <laughs> so at what point in your life, uh, cause you know, you said your dad, you know, your dad was in the, uh, was in the air force. What point of your life did you decide that joining the military was going to be the right avenue uh, for you? Man, this is this is a little bit of a digging in the crates personally. Um, so at the time, I was engaged to um, a, a wonderful woman, um, and she ended up uh, being pregnant. 
And so I had, I was at a crossroads, right? Like, yeah. do I, do I continue the path I'm going with, with some uncertainties? You know, I, I was kind of going to college and I was doing like working, I managed a record store and like, do I keep going on the same path or do I do something a little more secure? Right. And so I decided to do something more secure. And so look, my dad and I didn't have the greatest relationship and I knew my dad probably pissed off a lot of people in the air force. And mm -hmm. so I figured air force was probably a terrible idea for me. Yeah. Um, you know, cause he was a, you know, he was a Lieutenant Colonel. He was, you know, he, people knew who he was. And so by the time I would have joined, which would have only been, you know, what, four or five years after he got out, mm -hmm. a lot of the people he probably would have pissed off would have been my commanders or my bosses. Right. So I decided to go the army route and that's, you know, I ended up, uh, her and I did not work. Uh, she ended up with a miscarriage long story. Um, and her and I ended up not being together and, uh, yeah, then I was in the military, <laughs> you know, and, um, met my ex-wife and, you know, we, she, she toughed out most of the military with me, but. Eh. So, so I, this is kind of off topic. Do you ever regret not going into the air force since, you know, we would call it like the chair force. Do you ever regret not going that route? <laughs> um, sometimes, you know, and look, it, I love what I did, but yeah. I, and I tell kids this, I'm like, if you want a translatable job, when you get out, like you have to look, you have to really look at the Air Force or the Navy, right? Yeah. And living conditions. And there's just, there's, yeah. there's better quality of life with, with better potential at the end yeah. from the Air Force. Um, so sometimes I do, but I also look at some of the things I got to experience yeah. that I never would have had to, the chance to experience had I gone Air Force over Army. So, I mean, it all works out in the end, you know, it brought me here. Yeah. You know, all, all my decisions, what what's the old saying? All your decisions bring you to this single point in, in time. Yep. You know, so I, I mean, I think it worked out for me in the end, but yeah, sometimes, sometimes I definitely think about it. Yeah. So, uh, how long, uh, how long into your tenure did you decide you're like, Hey, I'm going to go special operations <laughs> for people that don't know. That's what you did. Yeah. And what, and what led you to, to that decision? <laughs> so I, it's funny. So when I joined, I actually wanted to be an MP. Okay. Like I was yeah. like, oh yeah, I'll just be an MP. Right. And uh, when I, I got really high test scores and they basically threw the entire list of all the open positions at me, yeah. there was one position and it was called PSYOP. It's psychological warfare essentially. And it's part of special operations. Um, and they were like, you should look at this. And I was like, okay, perfect. I'll really get it. And so I started looking at it and I asked the guy some questions. He's like, look, I've been doing this like 20 years and I've like sent one person to this position. Like it's that small. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm in like, all right. Like if it's that kind of like thing, I'm in. Right. And so I started day one, essentially doing special operations. Um, and then, you know, about five or six years in, um, you, sometimes you'll get approached. Um, it, it's weird how it works. You, the commander will get a list of people and those people are automatically excused from everything, like no PT, no nothing. And you, you show up at this briefing and essentially it's a, it's a briefing on joining a, a special operations unit, um, very specific one, especially in the army. And, uh, they ask you if you want to go to selection, um, and the selection starts in the mountains of West Virginia. And uh, I said, yes. And I was like, I can do this, you know, and 
uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. My feet have probably still never recovered. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was, it was cool to say I did it, you know, and, and that, um, that was cool, you know? So, um, yeah, but you know, it, it, I got injured. So like, you know, at the end of the day, I probably didn't make all that much of a difference. I just got to say I did it, you know what I mean? But I ended up getting injured. Um, I hit a plane in midair, uh, with my body, um, completely reversing the curve of my spine. I pinched my spinal root nerve, the nerve down into my right shoulder. I blew two discs, uh, almost shredded my rotator cuff. I'm missing a quarter inch of bone, about a quarter inch of bone, uh, in my right shoulder. Um, so it's pulling, it's pulling my bicep essentially away from my shoulder. Um, and then I have micro fractures throughout my feet and I pulled every muscle from the base of my skull all the way down through like into my uh, sciatic area completely mm. out. Um, it was, it was rough. It was rough. Um, I hit the ground and I uh, came to, and nobody came to get me. So I put on, you know, about a hundred and something pounds of gear and walked about two miles using my weapon as a cane, just so I could find myself help so I could get back to the hospital Damn. Um, yeah, it was brutal, dude. It was, it was absolutely brutal. Um, and I do remember getting back and my first sergeant saying, Hey, are you, you know, are you ready to walk back to post? Cause we were just going to hike it back. Like that's miles. Right. Yeah. And I remember looking at him and saying, no, and I popped <laughs> my ruck. Cause that, that, you know, if you're you know the rucks, they have the little pool, yep. like the little pool ropes. And I popped my ruck. I remember popping my ruck. And the next thing I knew, I was waking up in the back of a truck, somebody saying, hey, we're taking you to the hospital, let's go. I don't remember anything in between there. Somebody said I climbed up there. I don't remember that at all. Um, and they took me back and they, you know, first they did a, they did an x-ray, no MRI, um, gave me a whole bunch of meds as they yeah. do. My arm just like, I, my right arm would just go dead. I couldn't feel anything. It would just like go dead or sometimes it just hurts so bad. And so finally it was just, that was enough. My, my back had taken way too much damage. Um, and so I got out. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so did you, so you were medically separated then? Yeah. yeah there you go. I mean, yeah. so you, you get, you get the good side of the VA, hopefully. I, um, I, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> use the VA all that much. Yeah. Um, I've had a couple of bad experiences with them personally, yeah. uh, but mm-hmm. I, I do use them for some things. Like yeah. I won't get a surgery there, right. um, but I will use them for like meds or I'll use them for like my checkups, like stuff like that. I'll use them for, but yeah. um, they once lost me in about three minutes um, at when I went in for a procedure and I was like, okay, if they're going to lose me in less than five minutes, I'm, I'm probably not going to get a surgery there. So, yeah. you know, um, I just. I tend not to do it from, for that part, but I do, I do get some, you know, my meds are all for free from there. And, you know, I get my checkups and, you know, basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to be honest with you, I don't, I've never made my VA claim because when I got back from deployment, uh, so 2014, I got back in uh, the end of August and I was separating October 1st and yeah. I was, you know, I was separating from that unit. I didn't even have to check back into my other unit. And, but at the, you know, you do your separations, that VA claim was six yep. months out. So I'm like, I'm not even going to do it. And I still have never done it to this day. So, so a little, I, tip, I should, <laughs> yeah, you should. So there's a little tip for any veteran listening right now. Uh, the VA actually gets paid per person that registers with the VA. 
Okay. Right. So, so there's a lot of people out there who think, well, somebody deserves it more than me. Well, in reality, you're helping more, even if you go and never use the, the benefits there, they actually get paid for you being on the records, essentially. Okay. And so the government actually sets that money aside and says, okay, the VA gets this extra whatever it is per person that has signed up with the VA. So you're actually doing more good by signing up and never using it than okay. never actually doing it. So little little tip for you there. Hey, there you go. So being in special operations, you travel to various different countries and perform, uh, you know, essentially no name missions uh, um, what what was your favorite country to visit and why wow uh i love nepal nepal uh, nepal is just absolutely gorgeous I, I and the people are so kind like they will give everything they have even if it means them going without like that's just you it's rare to find in the world right mm -hmm. like they will give you whatever they can however they can um so yeah, I, I think it's it's uh, probably Nepal, but um, man, I don't. Yeah, uh, we'll just stick with Nepal. I, I think we'll just stick with Nepal for now. So for people who don't know Nepal, uh, I'm not even quite sure. That's over in like uh, like Philippines area. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it's, it, base. it's it's Asia. I mean, it's, Asia. it's kind of near um, kind of near China. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I know now. Yeah. So. India, China area. What, uh, what has been your favorite mission that you did? Hmm. Favorite mission. Actually, my favorite wasn't even a, a real wartime thing. So I was in South Korea. Um, I was the special operations LNO for South Korea, uh, second rock army area. And, uh, we get a call and they want us to go do a foreign aid assessment. And I said, yeah, sure. I'll, where do I got to be? And they're like, well, you got to get to the DMZ. You got a couple of days to get up there. And I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. So I get up there and we're being escorted into North Korea. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So we got to go to, into Pyongyang. We got to drive up and go to Pyongyang and do a foreign aid assessment. Um, and I think that was probably the coolest thing I ever did. Like, yeah. look, it, it's not, it's so funny because there are so many people out there be like, oh yeah, I did this, you know, non-combatant evacuation operation in, you know, Albania or whatever. No, like just driving up there into a country that really no one ever gets to see. Yeah. It was guided. Like there was no, you know, it wasn't like we were up there doing something super secret or anything like that. But yeah. like just saying I got to see it. Yeah. Right. Like that's probably the coolest one. What's uh? so what's it like? So obviously you went through like the D mill zone. What's yeah. that? What's that like? Yeah, it's it's wild. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's absolutely wild. So there's like areas in the up at the DMZ where Sometimes if the timing's right, the North Koreans and the South Koreans will come around the building at the same time. And when they do that, they'll actually draw down each other the entire path along these buildings, right? Wow. And like one time we were up there and a dude tripped and like misfired and it like broke into a skirmish and there was like firefights like on the DMZ. It was just wild. Um, and, and so it's like this whole tension up there. There's like a constant tension mm -hmm. that things about to happen. Right. And you don't know what it is because it could be something as stupid as that. Like they famously, there was that huge fight over um, a tree limb getting cut down. Right. Because yeah. the tree was hanging over like that. That whole area is just surreal because yeah. it's it's just surreal. I, 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 you can't describe it until somebody sees it, but it's just like. 
it's one of the most stressful places on earth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, that's kind of how you feel being there. You're just like, I'm waiting for something to happen. So yeah. One of those, what we would call it hot spots, you know, one yeah. of those things that can, you know, bust off same thing with like Yemen and stuff like that. Yep. Uh, so like, if you could explain to people like what the de- what that zone looks like, um, well so there's a where we were where we had a cross there's actually like um so there's like a whole bunch of barbed wire and fencing and and all of that on both sides right yeah there's actually like this building that sits in the middle and there's a whole bunch of little buildings around for like the barracks and um you know for us like the americans we actually don't stay at the dmz there's actually a base just south of the dmz and they'll drive you up to the dmz for your guard position or whatever mm-hmm. you're doing right and if you've ever seen the pictures where they'll do like talks on the dmc it's actually in one of those buildings and the okay. building split legitimately split between north korea and south korea like it's like right on the border so that half the half the area half the room is on north half yeah so it's like this weird setup they have and it's almost like towers with like people constantly like with binoculars staring at you like you can look back at them and they'll like wave at you and stuff and you can like wave back um there's like towers of loudspeakers where messages are being broadcast back and forth it's it's a wild place but it's it's really like like you've ever been on a military base it's almost like a gate like you know when you go into the gates of a military base it's a little bit like that in a way but definitely a little bit more fortified because essentially what's going to happen is pops off. That's where everything's going to happen. So yeah, it's this weird kind of, it looks like a little itty mini base okay. literally on the border of North and South Korea. It's, it's, it's wild. It's, it's really cool though. I actually have a piece from the DMZ uh, downstairs, a little piece of the barbed wire that I was able to get. That's, pre- that's pretty cool. If you look behind, I don't know if you can look behind me, there's like a little jar up there. You can yeah. barely see it. Uh, that's, that's uh sand from Okinawa. Uh, one of my go. guys I was with, he, uh, when he got married, he gave me that as being part of his groomsmen. So that, that's, that's the only uh, thing of, from like Asia that I have is that little, that little bottle of crown Royal from, nice. from the Okinawa sands. All right, everyone, we're going to take our first break. All right. Welcome back from the break. So Dan, I just asked you about your, favorite mission can you tell us a little bit about your least favorite mission um so my least favorite i I, i'm gonna kind of lump them together right like the missions i kind of don't like is where it's just thrown at you haphazardly right Mm -hmm. i I have this i get the heebie and if if you're ever in the military you know when i say the Mm heebie-jeebies um like there's certain times that you're asked to do something or certain missions that you just get that feeling right and for whatever reason, if it's one of those where I haven't had time to kind of like study the area or like prep myself for this, this spot, and I just need to go right now. Like those tend to be like the worst, like for me, just the absolute worst. Right. Um, and it's weird because like, I think back on them and it was like, like there was one, the last time I was in Afghanistan that it was like, they were like, okay, you got to go now. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't know. Like I got a weird, weird feeling on this one. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, it turned into a really, really weird, you know, uh, mission. And, um, on the flight back to the base, um, I don't, you, you were in the air force, right? Like Marine Corps, Marine Corps. So yep. did you ever t- do the flight, um, videos? So like, 
whenever you do a mission, they, they have the recordings that they'll go back and review mm -hmm. from the actual flight. Right. Yep. And so I'm, I'm in my tent and I got a knock on, on, on like my little door area and the guy's like, Hey, I need you to come look at this video. And I was like, well, that's weird because I'm not the pilot and I'm not the crew. So like, why are you asking me to come look at this video? Right. Yeah. So I grab my teammate and we go over there and they're like, watch this. And an RPG had been fired and you could catch it in the slow-mo video and it went straight up and bounced off the propeller and bounced. You could see it in the video bounce yeah. up and down. And so like, we didn't know, we heard a sound, but we didn't know what it was. Yeah. And it ended up being an RPG that hit our helicopter. And luckily it didn't, it just bounced. Like it didn't actually explode. And um, that was, that was wild. And it's like, that kind of sums up how much, how those missions tended to go for me. Yeah. Like the weirdest, like most stressful stuff happened in those. And, and so I always hated those missions where it was like, you got to go right now. Yeah. You know, cause I, then I felt a little unprepared, but then I was like super hyper vigilant on stuff. Mm -hmm. And just heebie jeebies happen, man. And, and most of the time they were right. You know, something would happen, but yeah, I hated those. I hated those missions. I yeah. hated those. It's oh. like those times when you have to do like crash landing too. You know, you see, you see the videos yeah. like the C-130s crash landing. You're like, yeah, man. Yeah, like, plane. man, some of those heebie-jeebies. Oh, God, heebie-jeebies. And then other times, like, you get on a mission and you're like, yeah, we're going to get into a firefight, but you already kind of prepared yourself for it. And so you're just like, yeah, this is what it's going to be. And like, I'm ready for it. But then other times you're just like, yeah, we're getting a firefight and I'm really not ready for that. Like I'm not like there yet. Cause I haven't had time to prepare for this one, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's, I hated this. I hated them. So you mentioned your, your, uh, you know, your airplane incident earlier. Uh, tell us about another near death experience that uh, in a mission that you had overseas. Um, wow. So um, I will, I will keep the, the country kind of quiet on this one, but um, we were essentially getting an ambassador out of the country. Okay. And um, I remember my boss looked at me and he was like, Hey, as you know, the Marines guard embassies. Yep. yep. Right. So um, he's like, Hey, will you take a look outside? Cause we had the loudspeakers, so we were broadcasting messages and stuff like that, but we were also helping with the Neo to get the ambassador out. Like a whole, it was when I was in PSYOP and it was a whole bunch of like stuff going on. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's like, check to see if the Marines anything. I'm like, yep, no problem. So I go to look out the window because there was a little bit of commotion. And I go to look out the window and I stop. And I turn to say to him, like, why don't I go downstairs? Right, because we were up. And I stopped. And as I turned, a pot shot came through the window and probably within three inches of my face. Like, he was obviously leading me because he saw me leaning through the window and I turned back. And that thing zipped past my face. And I, of course, dropped immediately and we crawled out of the room. And he was like, are you okay? And I was like, no. Like, I was <laughs> not okay, right? Like, I was not okay at that moment. And so yeah. um, there was a back room, like a little back room that had no windows. And I went back in there and I chain smoked for a while at the time because I was a smoker. And um, yeah, that one was, that one was rough. That one was rough. Like, there's been more rough ones, but like, that one left such an impression on me because of how random it was for my, me to stop, right? Like some of the other stuff was like almost to be, I don't say to be expected, but like 
the scenario, you knew yeah. that those types of other incidents were possible, right? Yeah. Like, you know, when you're in Iraq, Afghanistan, like an IED is a very big possibility, right? Or an yeah. RPG or, or firefight. When you're in another country, sometimes you don't realize like that, that, right? Like that could still happen to you. And so that one was, that one was definitely one of the hairier ones for me. And I still think about that one to this day because of how close it was to my face. Yeah. It was yeah. one of the ones where you feel the wind. Yeah. Like you got to be super close to feel the, the wind from a bullet, right? Like yeah. you got to be pretty damn close. And you hear that hum. It's like that buzzing hum kind of like, there's no sound other like it, but it's like this humming buzz it and like high pitched it's wild but yeah that one got me that one got yeah me. I, I can see why that would mess you up because you know like you said it, it's unexpected you're you know you're sitting in the embassy and you're not expecting that and all of a sudden you you have it whizzing by your head yeah and yeah, yeah. L- luckily i know for a fact the qrf force that was out in town ended up finding the guy but like yeah that was still that was still pretty airy yep so You've mentioned before, and I'm going to ask you, I don't think you've ever told anybody, why are you banned from China? Yeah, so this, this is, people went me like, yeah, I invaded China. No, so I was actually on my way to Thailand uh, for a training thing. And um, <laughs> we, we, when you come across to, when you come across to Asia, you usually go north, like into Alaska, and then you come back down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because of the way the globe's if you ever look at a flight path, it usually goes north, right, or yep. south, depending on which which part of the world you're in. Um, so anyway, we we're coming across, and the winds had changed during flight, and it's a long flight, and winds had changed, and so they needed fuel, and so they they made decided to make a stop in China um, to get some fuel. It was Hong Kong, and they were going to stop and be like, oh, you know, well, this was right before right after a Navy plane, it crashed, I think it was 2000 or 2001, uh, we had a Navy plane actually go down in China, right? And they ha- there was a whole bunch of tension of whether or not they were going to give it back and, the, you know, all of this. And um, <laughs> so we're, we're, in the, we're in the airport and we're, we're watching the fuel truck go away and we're on this, we're on a commercial flight, okay? Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there and we're sitting there and we're sitting there and like nothing's happening. And we're not leaving the gate at all. We're like, what is going on? And all of a sudden the door opens and these dudes come on with guns and they're like, y'all need to get off kind of an attitude. We're like, oh, oh shit. You know, like <laughs> I look at, I look at my buddy and he and I, he, we look at each other and we're like, um, this is not good. Like what, why, you know, uh, we, ha- and we all, the three of us get off the plane. We were supposed to be the Advon party to Thailand for this training mission. And now, now we're delayed because we're, so they take us down to tarmac where they have this like prison bus thing that they're going to put us in and they load us up and guy comes on and he's like, what are you doing in China? And we're like, look, bro, I thought we finally pieced it together. We're like, look, we're not here for the damn plane. Like we're on our way to Thailand. Da, 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 da. Finally, this dude comes on and he's in a suit and he, without an accent, without anything, he comes up to us and he's like, so, what are you guys doing in China? Now I'm screwed, right? Like, I'm like, oh shit. Like they just brought their CIA dude on. Like what I'm, I'm done, right? Like this is it. I'm going to, I'm going to be Chinese for the rest of my life. Like that's how this is going to be. I'm going to be in a prison camp and this is going to be crappy. So he explained to him and he's like, well, we're going to call the embassy to check out. And I'm like, God, I hope the embassy gets this right. You know, (laughs) like, um, and so 
the guy comes back on. He's like, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you back on the plane. Don't come back to China. And I was like, okay, I, I, I hear you loud and clear, right? Like he's yeah. like, don't come back. And so we're getting up on the plane. The guy's like, you know, remember, don't come back. And he keeps saying it to us. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'm, I'm pretty much banned from China. Right. Yeah. And then I stop and I'm like, I want to see my weapons. And they're like, they're on the plane. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't believe that you left my weapon. No, no. So they take us back down. They open the hold. And of course, our weapons are the very first thing. Right. Like the yep. first thing in the cargo. hold. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to call bullshit here. Right. Like, <laughs> um, and so we get back on the plane and before he shuts the door and he goes, never come back to China. And I was like, all right. So as far as I know, I'm banned from China. I'm, I may not be, but I'm not willing to take that chance. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm banned from China. Apparently they don't like Americans with weapons in their country, especially unannounced after a Navy plane has crashed and is still stuck in the country. So yeah, essentially I, I didn't do anything horrible. I just yeah. was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. What uh, some people don't realize is like an Advan party is pretty stressful. Uh, you, know, cause you, you know, you're getting there and you're expected to set, like have everything set up before the main party gets there. And you're just like, especially and now that you guys are stuck there. And then if <laughs> you know, the embassy wasn't like, yo, uh, our plane is, you know, our plane just refueling. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Well, been, and yeah. you had to remember like, as they were had to call our unit time differences. Right. Yeah. So like you're calling back to a unit that most people probably weren't there because it was like, you know, a Friday night or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, you're hoping somebody over there at like the, your emergency operations center answers and was like, oh yeah, those guys are fine. You know, man. It, yeah. It was, it was pretty funny to think about now. Like, oh yeah, I'm probably banned from China, but like at the time, man, God, I was scared. Like that was probably one of the more scared I've ever been because I would, there was nothing I could do. Like yeah. at least, at least in Iraq, Afghanistan or anywhere else, like I got a gun on me, you yeah. know, like here I had nothing. I was just like some dude sitting on a plane, like, Oh, that's it for me. So yeah, that was, that was pretty hairy. That was pretty hairy. <laughs> it was funny though. Now I laugh about it, but it was pretty hairy. So you, you know, you said you're medically separated. Were you close to your 20 to be getting out or no, no you weren't close. No, I did about 10 years, 10 years. Um, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't near 20 at that point. Um, yeah. That's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. You oh, yeah. Have, like Sometimes it's just life takes a weird turn sometimes, you know, and, and it took a weird turn and, I got out and man, yeah, that was a rough time, but no, yeah, I, I was, I wanted to do 20. I had thought about just, you know, I even thought like, Hey, after 10, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll go over to the air force and do 10 and get like technical training or something. And yeah, none of it ever ended up happening because the injuries. So yeah. Especially since like, you know, you probably went in because you went in like right after desert storm. Mm-hmm. not like right after right so at like end. six yeah. yeah and near the tail end of desert storm mm-hmm. and then 9 11 happens and you know you being the way you are you could you know you could have went that whole time frame you would have had mm-hmm. you know multiple tours you know right. overseas and stuff like well, that well don't forget you know not only did i go in i also went at the tail end in some ways of like albania bosnia yeah. like some of that was still kind of going off right yeah um you had the first gulf war and so you know, 9-11 happens and then, you know, the world takes another turn on you yep. and, you know, next thing you know, you're gone 270 days in a year, you know, to different places and you're traveling and, you know, you're in the Philippines one month and, you know, earlier that winter you were in Norway and 
later in the year you're sitting in the de- the sandbox you know like it's just it's the way it went after 9-11 but yeah so you said when you got out you know you had some you had some time like you know struggling to find your place but when you got your gs15 job uh did you ever think about going like contractor i did um but i wanted something a little more secure because contracting like people don't realize when they say contractor like first off again i didn't have a lot of technical skills right like all my skills are very specialized i'll I'll just put it that way right like super specialized and you know, being a contractor in that world, especially, you know, after Blackwater and all of that had happened, like it was a real hairy thing to be in. And contractors, look, you can get a job, but in six months, the government can pull that contract. And guess what? You're out of a job and you're looking for another contractor gig, right? So I wanted something a little more stable. Um, And so when I got back from, from Afghanistan, when I finally said, I'm done, that's it. I've I've done my last rodeo, you know, um, I went back to college, um, and went and got my degree in advertising of all things. Uh, I minored in anthropology, which is hilarious because I was already published. So I walked into class, I talked to my professor and he read my article, uh, our published article. And he said, just sit in the back, you've passed my class. And so for most of my anthropology, like everybody kind of knew that I was the student who was already published. Yeah. And so I just, they, I still had to do the work, but they, they gave me a lot of leeway because I had already actually done the job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I minored in anthropology with a major in advertising. So, uh, so you got, you probably got out like what, 2006, 2007. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I went back for the, for the time from 2010 to 2012 as the okay. GS. Yeah. Okay. So when you were getting your degree, you were able to use your post 9-11 GI Bill or did you do the the, uh, the prior one before that no so i so when i looked at it there's there was a whole bunch of stuff about that because i had when i had joined it was the old gi bill yeah and then it was the post 9-11 and based on my needs at the time and how mm-hmm. it was working for me i went to the post 9-11 yeah uh, it ended up actually giving me a little bit more benefit yeah. um, but that wasn't always the case for everybody yeah. and so uh yeah i used the post gi post nine post 9-11 i had actually transferred over there's a the time there was a process to transfer it over yep and i ended up doing that and and being uh going post 9 11. so i I guess one thing that i would say to somebody is uh especially for college uh, because i I got i got my degree all online Mm -hmm. um i guess what what i would say to somebody is when when you use your post 9 11 and you're if you decide to go full online pick an online school that has a high cost of living Yes. You no, know, because you know I live in rural Ohio and my house payment's like eight hundred and fifty bucks. But my school, where they do like they they go by off of where like the processing is, was uh, Ocala, Florida, so Orlando. You know, yep. so that's you know at sixteen hundred bucks, I get half of that when you go full online, and it's just like, and that's that's my house payment just yeah. for doing online school. And I I think if anyone is listening to this that is using Post Nine Eleven, that would be the thing to do. You know. Hi, you want to choose those schools that have high cost of living and, you know, like a New York school, if you can, yep. but, you know, you know, but, but to make sure that like you're getting the quality education, you want to pick a good college, but you also want to be able to reap the rewards of that benefit. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I was, I actually went in person here uh, at university of North Texas. So you okay. um, and that's where I went because I was living here at the time. So yep. it was, it wasn't a thing for me to drive. It was about a 45 minute drive. And so I would just drive to class and then come home and, you know, but it gave me a good cost of living because I was in Texas and yep. there were a whole bunch of other little side benefits to it for living 
for living here and, and going to school here. So I, I went post nine eleven. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It's always check on that because there's a whole there's a whole thing to it, and you, you, if yeah. you don't know, you're gonna you could potentially lose out some benefit. And that's something that you know they don't teach when you're separating. Like they don't they don't tell you that kind of stuff because they're. I, I always feel like they were like more. You know, just like, dude, this guy's getting out. Let's just yeah. get him through this class or whatever. Oh, dude, but, I didn't even have classes. Like, for when yeah. I got out, they were just like, they handed me a piece of paper and they were like, go get all these signatures. Yeah. And I was like, well, aren't I supposed to have an ACAP class or something? Because I thought yeah. I was like, ACAPing. And he was like, the guy's like, yeah, but we're on an off cycle right now. So just go get the, the signature. I didn't have anything. Yeah. I didn't have the VA brief. I didn't get any of that. They were just like, go find this person and get an autograph. Yeah. And once you're done, all the autographs, you're out. I was like, all right, cool, whatever. You know, so yeah, some of, I didn't even get that. Like I would have at least loved a briefing, but yeah, they're terrible. Like yeah. they've gotten better. They've tried to get better about it, but yeah, it's, you're it's getting a, out. What do they care? You know? Yeah, it's a real disservice. So what, leading into that, what advice would you give to someone who would want to go in a similar direction with their career trajectory as you did? Ooh. I say this to everybody, take chances on yourself, mm -hmm. bet on yourself, right? Yeah. Like the worst thing people are going to say to you is no. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and that goes for anything, you know, it goes for dating life. It goes for work. It goes for anything, right? Like the worst somebody can really truly say to you, if you do it, if you approach people the right way is no, yep. you know? And so I, I tell people like, find your passion, find whatever that passion is and bet on yourself in that passion because you're going to love what you do. And, yep. and if you don't love what you do, you might need to find what you love to do. So if you're looking to go in the same direction, like first off, do a B, big, big, big dig mentally on yep. whether you can handle what comes with it. All right. Like yep. that's a huge part in, in the world I was in. Like if you mentally cannot get there, you're not going to be able to do it, mm -hmm. right? You could have all the physical tools in the world, but if you mentally can't do what you need to do, it's not going to do a damn thing. Yeah. Um, but bet on yourself. Like nobody's going to advocate for you. Like you're going to advocate for yourself. Correct. And so always be willing to push yourself and take that chance because like I've done a lot of things in my life and some of them were just happen chance. Right. But yep. it was because I bet on myself. Yep. Absolutely. So that, that's, that's always my advice is just find your passion. And if you're not, if you don't like what, even like what you do, it's probably not close to being your passion. So like keep looking. Yeah. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with like getting somewhere and then, you know, Hey, that's not the thing for me reset and start over. Yeah. I mean, that's, you have something and then use that as you're like looking to rebuild the next thing. Like yeah. don't leave yourself out there flapping either. Like don't, because you, you hate something be like, well, I don't have something else lined up. So therefore like, don't, don't screw yourself over, you know, yeah. but bet on yourself. Yeah. Like using your life experiences to build on, you know, to stack up. Right. That's, that's the way I would look at it. Okay. So, you know, you said that, um, there was a, there was a struggle when separating. A lot of guys do struggle when they separate. So if you can explain the process of separating the way you did medically, you know, the struggles, uh, like any remorse you had, any tribulations, stuff like that. Um, you know, it's funny. I look back on it now and I have a totally different perspective of it. Right. Like mm -hmm. at the time it was really rough and I was, I got really mad. I was really angry a lot. Like, and you know me, I'm, I'm, 
I come across as an angry person, like a kind of a grumpy, angry person. I'm really Get not. Get off my lawn. Like, yeah, like I, people are like, oh my God, the guy's like kind of a dick. And I'm like, no, like you have to understand most of what I say isn't like meant to be dicky. It's just, I tend to be matter of factual more than anything. Um, and I just, and sometimes I just like to joke around with people and people don't realize I'm really just screwing with them. Yeah. Um, but I was really angry. Like I, I got really mad um, at the world at myself mm-hmm. at the world and other people like I was not good to be around um and I can admit that now like I'm sure part of it was what drove me and my ex-wife apart right like that was that was part of the story like it's always two sides to the story and you always have to shoulder something for your side and and that was probably one of my bigger sides was you know I struggled and, and I I almost felt like I had done all of this stuff for nothing you know, mm-hmm. like you get out and, and I go to, I go to apply for a job and they're like, well, you don't have any hard skills. And I'm like, bro, what are you talking about? Like, you know, I did this, 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 this. And they're like, yeah, but that's not, that doesn't translate here. It doesn't yeah. translate to this part of the world, you know? And yeah, I got mad. And, and, you know, like when you're, when you're part of like, especially in special operations, right? Like you're part of this really select group of, of people. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're basically told you're, you're, you're kind of useless, you know? And, and that was really rough. Um, you know, I drank and, and I was angry and um, I, I had a hard path. You know, I, I contemplated suicide. I actually um, had the note. I had thought about it. I had a plan. Um, I was really close to it. My daughter actually is the one who stopped me. She doesn't know it, but she ended up stopping me. Um, and like, I was not in a good place at all. Um, and I can admit that now, like many yeah. years later, right? So it was really dark. Um, and, and luckily, like I said, my daughter stopped me and it gave me a different, I started looking at it from a different perspective. Um, and I started looking at it as I cannot control what's happened. I can only control my, how it impacts me today. Like Mm -hmm. at that moment, right? Like I can't go back and change, I don't know, my parents getting divorced, but I can come back here and say, how does that affect me today? Right. And and I started doing that and I started going to therapy and, and I did find, you know, meds that worked for me and, um, you know, really just tried to change me, you know, and, and, and be different. I stopped drinking. Um, I drink a little bit, but like, I really stopped drinking. Um, and I knew the things that would make me, that would trigger me, uh, with my anxiety or my PTSD or my whatever. Um, and I, I would, I would focus on making those better mm-hmm. and what I could live with and what I couldn't live with. Right. And yep. what, what the new me is, right. What new normal is, that's kind of one of those, those catch terms, right. Like what new normal is. And so I learned it. So over the years, I've kind of, I look back on it differently um, because now I have that perspective, but at the time it was really, really rough. And, um, I, I contemplated suicide and it was dark, man. It was dark, but yeah, I, I think it gives me a good perspective on my life and, and advice to others. Like my kids love coming to me for advice because now I have this perspective of like all this stuff I've done and I've gone through the dark yep. you know, and, and I think they enjoy the fact that I'm, I'm brutally honest with them. Mm-hmm. You know, whether they agree or not is, is beyond the point, at least that I'm being honest yep. and that I'm being upfront with them about my perspective of things. Um, so my kids tend to come to me a lot for like just little advice like that, because I'm, I'm going to be honest with them. 
Yeah. So I, I see it as um, to like piggyback off that. A lot of guys feel like that all the time. You know, you know, they get out and, you know, something in the world happens. Mm-hmm. And then it seems like, hey, what what I did over there means nothing now. You know, you, mm-hmm. you see like Afghanistan, my, you know, my battle buddy died for no reason. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, people people struggle with that every yeah. single day. Uh, you know, and you have, you have that darkness and then you come to, you come to the point where you're just like, you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid of death, you know? So like, right. it's almost like you stay chill. Like I'm, I'm a super chill person. Like, you know, I've, I've had struggles sort of like you have, mm-hmm. uh, but it's just like you, you become, it's not numb to it. You're just not afraid of it anymore. And you can give life experience to others right? Uh, because, because you've done those kind of things. But I think it helps that I had a good support network too. Oh, right. absolutely. One so, so as I was coming through, you know, I I got divorced and I met my current wife, who absolutely one of the best humans I have ever met in any way, shape, or form. Right, mm-hmm. like, um, and she she's helped me a lot, give me that support network. Um, my kids, my even my ex wife, like, you know, when I was going to Afghanistan, she called me one day and she's like, you know, you don't have to go. And I was like, yeah, but you know, we're going through divorce, and she's like, but it isn't about that. It's like, I worry about you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like, I got this, I got this support network from like people. And I think that's important. And sometimes it's, not everybody has that, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm very fortunate to have that support network. And so I think that's, that's a piece is like finding a support network, whether that's friends or family or, or even a third party, you know, yep. finding somebody out there, there are, there are resources that you can call or, or look for that'll help give you that. But yeah, support network was a huge thing for me, for sure. Yeah, and I, I, also, I actually think that's like the biggest thing, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what leads to, you know, that 22 a day yeah. uh, mantra is like people, they don't have that support network, you know. Um, I always I always classified as like, hey, you know, I was gone for five years. I came back home, but all my friends moved on. It was like, I put my life on pause, you know. That's what it feels like. So then like you're trying to rekindle new friendships, uh rekindle you know relationships and those people aren't the same people you're not the same person right uh, you know and it's it's, uh it's it gets lonely Uh, but but, but like you i had a good supporting cast my in-laws live like eight miles from me my 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 parents live like 20 miles from me so you know and like i said that's the biggest thing is you don't have that supporting cast uh you know you don't have your you lose your brothers you lose contact with you know your guys who are Mm -hmm. you know with you every single day you know and like i was talking to mike last week it's like you you go through the suck with these guys you embrace that yeah. suck together and then oh, yeah. they're not you know they're either not there something you know heaven forbid something happens to them and you know it's just stuff like that and it's that's that's what leads to a lot of the and people don't realize that that's what leads to a lot of like the drinking or you know the overdose and you know mm-hmm. you know the eventual the holla thing but it's just that that's one of those yeah that's far as i'm gonna go there <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's a dark place you know but yeah. sometimes i think we need to talk about it right yeah and the oh, further absolutely. i get away from my military service the less i let it define me yep right because like now i'm a grandparent and you know i write about the cowboys and yep. um you know i do all of this other stuff i i bodybuild and i you know i do all of these things and so like i it's it's a piece of who i am but it's no longer the definition of me. Absolutely. And 100%. I think that's helped me as well get through it is because like I'm trying to move forward with other things and still have the influence of it without it being the controlling influence. Yep. 
absolutely 100 so on, on a lighter note here your your travels have led you to you know meet some pretty interesting people whether it be like you know you said you've met like members of congress people from other countries yada 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 uh, put you in interesting situations yeah uh the one i really want to hear about is how you ran into ron jeremy yeah damn ron jeremy that guy yeah so I'm in North, I'm in uh, Kansas City and we're doing training and, and we were going to go out for the weekend and we decided um, we were going to buy a table, a booth space at uh, Angel's Rock Bar in Kansas City, right? There's okay. Angel's other places. We're going to do the one in Kansas City at Power and Light District. And so there was, I don't know, there's I think five or seven of us, something like that. Um, and we were going to do this booth and we're sitting there and Ron Jeremy walks in. Right. And he and he's with all these really pretty girls. And we're like, what in the hell is going like, why is Ron Jeremy in Kansas City, like with all these girls? Right. Yeah. And so it comes out that like he gets up there and he's I guess he had either bought in or he was like the spokesman or something about a brothel in like Nevada. Right. Like Reno or something like that. And um so we're like, okay, this is weird. Now he has the booth kind of like in the corner next to us. Yeah. And we're kind of like one booth over um, this, like, you know, the old private booth tables. And we're sitting there and we're all like, dude, that's Ron Jeremy. Like, this is wild, you know, like, holy shit, you know? <laughs> but like, of course you don't want to go talk to Ron Jeremy because it's Ron Jeremy, right? Like you're yeah. just kind of like, yeah, that dude's like porn star, you know? Now he was a little older at that point, but you know, he's Ron Jeremy. Yeah. And so... I'm like, all right, whatever. We're partying, we're drinking. And I was like, I got to go to, I got to go to the bathroom. So I roll into the bathroom and there's two, for whatever reason, there were only two urinals, right? Yep, and so, it, right. Yeah. For, for a bar and there's no divider there. So they're just open urinals. Right. And I, I go to the first one cause it was open and I'm, I'm taking a leak and the guy, this guy, I see this like kind of guy move up next to me because I kind of see it out of my peripheral and I look and it's, it's fucking Ron Jeremy. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, Jesus Christ. Like this is real. I'm about to take a leak with Ron Jeremy next to me. Right. Like yeah. this is actually happening. This dude pulls out and does a line of cocaine off the top of the urinal right next to me. Right. And I'm like, this is happening. This is my life, right? Like you almost can't believe this is actually something that would occur. And he looks over at me and he looks down at my junk and kind of like gives me the old head nod thing. Like, <laughs> up. nice dick. Yeah. Like, and what do you say now? Now Ron Jeremy has now taken a hit of Coke off of a urinal. He's pissing next to me and he's just stared at my junk. Yeah. Like, what do you say? Like, you can't say anything. You're just like, yeah, I think we've all seen your dick, dude. Like, what do you say? I don't, I don't know what to say here. So I like wash my hands and he comes over and he's like, he's like, yeah, man, you, you guys have the table next to me. Right. And I'm like, yeah, he's like, you guys look like you're having a lot of fun. I'm like, yeah, you know, I kind of explained to him briefly as we're walking out, like what we're doing there. And he's like, oh, you guys should come hang and party with me. Now I'm like, okay. I don't know about all this. Like, this is starting to get a little like sketch, right? Like yeah. this is getting sketch. So I go back to the table and I'm like, guys, you're not going to believe what just happened to me. Like, right now, Ron had stopped at the bar. So like, he wasn't with me. He had stopped to grab something at the bar, like a drink or whatever he was going to grab. And so I, I get to the table. I'm like, guys, you're not going to believe what just happened to me with Ron Jeremy. Like, they're like, get the fuck out of here. 
as we're saying this, Ron walks up behind me and he's like, so you guys want to hang? And of course, everybody at the table is laughing because now Ron Jeremy scared of my junk. And they're like, yes, everybody's like, yes, we're going to hang with Ron Jeremy. And now I'm like, mother fuckers, I hate every one of you right now because this is <laughs> awkward. Um, and so we we actually got to hang out and party with Ron Jeremy and a whole bunch of, of brothel women. And it was it was fun. But like, come to find out, like, he's like super lonely. Right. Mm -hmm. Because like women talk to Ron because of who he is. Right. Yeah. Mm hmm. And then dudes want to talk to Ron, not just because of who he is, but because of the women he hangs around. Yeah. Right. So like everybody uses Ron Jeremy and nobody actually wants to talk to Ron Jeremy. Right. Yeah. And so like I started talking to him and he, the dude's actually just super sad. Like he, he really is just a sad, lonely guy, but it was so wild. Like going from a bump of line of Coke to staring at my junk to <laughs> parting with goddamn Ron Jeremy and a, angels rock bar in kansas city freaking ron jeremy dude like and so now when i see pictures of my goddamn ron jeremy like i it just it haunts me it haunts me people will talk about him i'm like son of a bitch i cannot get rid of this dude like yeah, yeah it was it was it was something man but he bought like a whole bunch of drinks for us and stuff so i mean i guess it worked out but like so goddamn. You guys, you guys just stay and party at that bar? Or did you go to like an after No, party no. I was like, well, so we were getting ready to leave. And he was like, yeah, why don't you guys come back to the hotel room? And I was like, all right, that's where I'm drawing the line. Like, you've already stared at my junk dude and gave me the head nod. Yeah. Like, and I know you're kind of lonely. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm not banking on going to your hotel room and expecting good things to happen. So yeah. I'm out. And so a little, little bump on his head. Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> no, 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 we're not doing that, Ron. Like, you were cool high five you know but i'm out so no we didn't we didn't do anything else after that but man yeah that was that was kind of a, that was kind of a funny night because you don't ex ever expect to party with ron jeremy so yeah, yeah freaking ron jeremy dude that's that's my ron jeremy story staring at my junk <laughs> any other crazy encounters with like any like famous people um yeah so i met george bush jr um well i didn't meet uh, let me rephrase so a couple of years ago, they were doing this big thing at AT&T Stadium, mm -hmm. right? And uh, it was for like entrepreneurs or whatever. And he was going to be one of the guest speakers there. And so they had gotten a whole bunch of uh, veterans together to go attend this thing. And they were going to let us do a meet and greet with George Bush. And I'm like, cool, like dope. I did a mission once where I actually got a letter from George Bush. Um, it was like, hey, thanks for this, your service, you've blah, 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 terrorist, blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, years earlier, year, you know, decade earlier, a decade and a half or whatever. And um, so we go in to do pictures and, and do the meet and greet with him. And we have their name tags, like these big name tags that they had us wear, right? And he looks at me and he's like, Rupert, Rupert. And I was like, yes, sir. He goes, you were in a special operations, weren't you? I was like, yeah. He's like, I thought so. Thank you. And I was like, thank you. No, thank you. And he just kind of like gave me a smirk. And we took the picture and I have the picture where I'm kind of like smiling, but you can tell like I'm a little weirded out by the whole thing because yeah. like I'd never met him face to face before. So like I found out later he has this amazing memory for stuff like that mm -hmm. and that he has this ability to remember names and like 
people. And so he probably saw it, like he made the connection or something there. But like that one was wild because I was just like, holy crap, George Bush knows who I am, you know? But then it, it was just, yeah, that one was kind of crazy. And then um, I bumped into Buster Rhymes once at a McDonald's in downtown Manhattan <laughs> with his kid. He was, he was feeding his kid and he was like in line in front of me. And like, I saw the back of him and he started talking. I was like, oh shit, that's Buster Rhymes. Like in my head, right? And he turned around and he's because I like I just I couldn't help but look at him, you know, like it's Buster Rhymes, you know. And he kind of looked at me and like I was like, oh, what's up, man? And he was like, yeah. And he kind of looked at me like, yeah, I probably shouldn't be here. And he's like, yeah, my son went to McDonald's. And I was like, cool. Like, what do you <laughs> say? Like, all right, like I don't care, you know. And so, like, I had this weird little bump and run in with Buster Rhymes of all people in like a Manhattan McDonald's. It was like yeah. <laughs> Crazy. one of us one of yeah, us yeah like what it, man it was yeah it was crazy but yeah he had his he was just chilling like whatever yeah all right so everyone we're gonna take our second break and we'll be right back all right everyone welcome back so dan uh post military life uh, you work yeah. for a veteran organization now mm-hmm. uh explain how that came about and what exactly you do yeah, so um, I started at, when I got out of college. I was looking for advertising gigs, and I actually got somebody to tell me I was too old, right, for the industry. I had, I was fortieth time and or mm-hmm. forty, and I got told I was too old for the industry. And my wife knew I was looking for work, um, and so she had found this position with the uh, Wounded Warrior Project, and I accepted the position. Um, and then you know I was doing. I was doing a lot of community outreach and doing a lot of um, events for veterans in the locals in DFW or North Texas and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And um, COVID happened and uh, they were like, oh, we need to go virtual. Oh my gosh, we need to go virtual. And so I actually used to be a pro gamer. Um, I was years ago, way back in the day with original Counter-Strike. Um, I was a pro Counter-Strike player. Most people don't realize like, you know, I played old school. I went to the first CPL and, um, you know, played in that. So uh, video games has always been big to me. And so six of us, five others got, got together and we all said, Hey, listen, like, let's try video games. We're all passionate about video games. Let's, we want to keep engaging warriors. So let's try video games since we all have to go virtually. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, by the way, I love your bracelet. I saw that. I I saw the little flash there. That was good. I was fixing my ear, but yeah. Rune warrior project. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Um, and so I ended up, uh, do, we started doing video games and it took off, like it caught fire. And um, about a year and a half ago, they said, hey, we're going to make this a real position. And I got one of the two positions. There's now three of us. And I started the position and I do, I connect veterans uh, through video gaming, um, and which also connects them to our other programs, mm-hmm. you know, things like mental health services and benefits and uh, physical health and wellness and, you know, all of that for them and their family. Um, so I, I kind of do the same thing that I used to do, but I, I tended to look, look more towards the video game, online digital space. Um, but we're also looking at like conventions and tournaments and, you know, ways because as you know, service members game, even oh, yeah. if you're not a gamer, you're downrange, you're, you're gaming. Like how it was nothing to watch, you know, somebody walk in and somebody playing Tiger Woods golf or Halo or, you know, or people land stuff between their rooms, right? Yep. Um, or their bunks or whatever. And so I just ended up doing video gaming. And so now I'm in the video game space and I, I work with veterans to, to connect them 
with socialization and and you know stuff like that through video and well and tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons and all that. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of what I do now. Don't, didn't you? Uh, I I don't remember, but uh, I I remember sort of you were like teaming up with a famous gamer. Yeah. Uh, to reach out to Russell. so like who like who would that be? So uh, those who don't know uh, Hogman. Um, Hogman was one of the top Fortnite players for a long time. Okay. Uh, I've worked with Hogman. Um, I'm looking to work with, uh, I've reached out to Complexity to talk to Tim the Tapman. There you go. Um, yeah. So there's another one for you uh, that we're looking at. We've done some stuff with the LA Gorillas. Um, you know, so a couple of them. I mean, we're, we're, we've also done some other stuff uh, for D&D World. Uh, we've worked with Luke Gygak. Um, for those who don't know Luke, um, the Gygak family is the ones who started D&D. Um, so he's like the head of essentially Dungeons and Dragons. Like, yeah, you know, um, we've worked with him in the past. Uh, so yeah, I, we try to find different streamers and gamers who want to work, who want to either give back in the space, uh, whether it's through raising money for us, like sometimes they'll go on and do a charity stream. Yep. Or sometimes it's just, they want to work with the veterans and do like a class or they want to, you know, help them get better at a game or just meet and greet them. Um, I did, we did a big Madden tournament and uh, Steven Jackson, the old running back. Yep actually came to our super bowl and announced the super bowl that's pretty um, awesome yeah so that was kind of neat so you know it's just ways to get veterans to connect but then you try to once in a while throw in like a big special kind of like something they would not normally be able to do on their own kind of a thing so when you guys go to like convention and stuff is it like an overall like video game or like cosplay convention and you guys are just there as a wounded warrior project or is it like a, a veterans convention no, uh, the ones I do tend to be like the pop, you know, fan expos, or I just went okay. to Dream Hack uh, for Counter Strike. Uh, we've done PAX. Um, we did Gary Con, uh, which is the one for D and D. You know, so we've done a couple of different ones, and it's, the idea is, is not only to be there in the space because that's how you make relationships, right? You got to be yep. in the space to make a relationship. But what we're also doing is bringing veterans to these things because a lot of them look, sometimes conventions are expensive and they have a family of five, right? They may not be able to afford to do that. Um, or they they have anxiety and they don't really want to go on their own. And so yeah. they'll go to a group of veterans, right? Because then they feel safer. And so it's a way to get them out to these, these things that they love, but also feel like hey, I'm doing it with other veterans or I have a chance to do this that I would normally not have a chance to do. So yeah, it, it's usually around games or, or pop culture, but we've done other other conventions but the ones i tend to focus on are the gaming or electronics or something like that yeah to, to piggyback off like what you said about video games like people don't realize that like military members are nerds like your barracks rooms yeah you walk in on like a friday night and it's not you know you have, you have guys like drinking and stuff but it's just like dudes three rooms in a row are playing league of legends you know <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, so it's true. Just, that's stuff like that and it's just like it's you know that's the way to escape and you know it's sort of like you know like you said uh you link them all together like that but you know it, it's nothing to go into a barracks room and you're like oh what are you guys doing and you know yeah. you pop open the door and he's sitting there playing league of legends with like a bag of sunflower seeds next to him and a jack yeah, yeah. <laughs> with a beer in his underwear just hanging out in his room just playing yeah league of legends and uh my my director one of my directors uh was joking he said you tell me of the halo version i'll tell you a country i was in yeah right because that's how he associated you know and he's not even a big gamer but he's just like if you say halo 2 i know a country i was in playing halo 2 and that's just how it worked you know mm -hmm. yeah it was god yeah big nerds 
Most of us are doing <laughs> yeah. Funny. So you said you did. Yeah, uh, you got your degree in advertising. Um, how did how, for people that don't know you, you write for fan side at DFW, yes. right? Yep. So how for did DFW, how did that lead yeah. you writing in? How did that lead you to writing into for them? So the School of Journalism is actually where this advertising is for UNT. And so I've always loved writing. I've always been somebody who just loves writing. And um, I've always thought of writing a book. And one day I still may do it. Like I may just, again, bet on myself, right? And just yep. start writing a book. Um, I have a couple ideas circulating for it. But I, when I was in school, um, I saw, I, I read as much cowboy stuff. I love the cowboys. And so I, I ended up, seeing this opening posted on the website and I was like I could do this and so I sent a submission in um I got accepted uh this was like 2013 2012 somewhere in there um I got accepted and just started writing for them and uh I've been writing for them ever since so you write for them but you also uh you did a brief stint with Buckeyes Wire correct mm -hmm. yes uh how, what what was your um, what was your favorite topic to write about between the two? So I always love talking about upcoming draft picks, mm -hmm. right? Because there's so much uncertainty around them, but yet you have to keep your excitement in check for them, right? Because look, these guys haven't played a snap in the NFL. We're all, it's all projection, right? Based, yep. And you look at college and you're like, well, they had this supporting cast or maybe they were put in the exact right position or maybe it was the quarterback or maybe it was the whatever, right? Um, and so you're, you make these, these projections and I always find that fun and fascinating. So I always love talking, you know, the, the draftees. I always love, that's always one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, because it's so hit or miss, it really is. Yeah. But you try to do as best as you can. And sometimes you whiff completely. And other times you smack it out of the park and you feel pretty good about yourself. So, but I always love that. Yeah, I, I love I love doing the, the, that whole portion. I hate the salary cap stuff. Yeah. Like, doesn't even get me started on like the whole salary cap thing. Like, yeah. I, I, I won't even write about it pretty much. Like, I'll, yeah. I'll write about how ridiculously stupid our big dumb team is about it, but like, yeah. I'm not touching now. Not my thing. Yeah. Not your cup of tea. No. Uh, so to, to go along with, uh, you know, the draft, you know, you said you like to write about draft stuff. Uh, that's part of your 4d podcast. You're the, you're the, yeah. you're the co-host of the 4d podcast. Uh, how did you and um, Massey meet and come up with the idea for the podcast? So it's funny. So he had actually had one previously um, and he had read some of my articles and, and some of my pre-draft stuff that I had done. And we just started talking one day online and he was like, Hey, I want to do, I want to do a podcast. Are you in? Like, you know, your stuff well enough. Like, are you in? Mm -hmm. And so we just messaged back and forth about it. And we, we vibed, we were both veterans and, you know, we, we figured it would be a good, a good way to kind of throw in some veteran you know, flavor into the whole like podcast thing. Cause mm -hmm. again, we're both pretty brutally honest. With it. Yeah. So um, we do, we tend to, we tend to be that way on the podcast. So yeah. Yeah. That's how we started. It was just, we started vibing online and that was it. So did you have any previous uh, like podcasting experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a friend of mine hosts a podcast uh, called the break it down. 
And so uh, what they used to do on it is they would do record uh, label, record battles and they would find two massive albums that had the same tracks, same number yeah. of tracks. And they would do it like they would score it like a, a boxing match. Okay. Song for song would be round for round, right? And so I'd done a couple of those with them um, as a, especially when they would do rap and hip hop, yeah. they would bring me in as kind of the expert on it. And so I would do these rap battles or these album battles with them. Um, and then, of course, when I was in PSYOP, uh, we did a lot of radio work, um, you know, so I've done some leading up. But but yeah, that this was my first like weekly constant, like, you know, uh, which we start back. We're actually going to start start our podcast back up. Uh, Massey was in law school, so mm-hmm. we had to take a break. Uh, we're gonna, our first recording is next week, actually, to start it back up for the season. So, um, yeah, it, it was uh, definitely my not my first, but it's probably my most extensive. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't know like if like advertising, like if that uh, involves like any kind of like podcast work for or anything like that, because advertising is, would be big in like podcasting now, mm-hmm. like what, if it was back then. So my, my, my focus in advertising was actually copywriting. Okay. Um. So it was a lot of the writing and a lot of the, the um, like, concept and idea taglines things like that right mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean I, it it kind of helps with the podcasting because it gives me the idea of like main topics and kind of how to how to push what we're doing into a different space right like the understanding of how to get there and so uh yeah it helps um but yeah it, it's i still wish i could have been making like taglines for products but hey that's here here or there so cowboy stuff uh you're you know you you know you said you grew up um a bunch of different places um but so i mean that leads usually leads you to be a fan of like a bunch of different teams from a bunch of different areas how did you become a fan of the dallas cowboys so so i am a fan of a a whole bunch of teams from different areas right like i'm a reds fan i'm a blackhawks fan i'm a landhawks fan right um so when i was I don't know, probably right around the time my, my parents were getting divorced. Um, there used to be these books that would come out and you could get like addresses for teams. And like my dad always liked the Cowboys because of Roger Staubach. And mm-hmm. um, I found Tony Dors, I found a, a, the address of the Cowboys. And I had found out in some magazine or guide or something I had that Tony Dorsett has the same birthday I do. Okay. Right. Uh, obviously he was born years earlier, but like we had the same birthday. And so being this like, you know, nine, 10 year old kid, I send off a birthday card to the Cowboys front office, right? Like I send it to the headquarters, like thinking I'm going to get, you know, like, Oh, Twitter says going to read it. Well, the Cowboys ended up sending me a card back and it had a whole bunch of like pre-stamped names, like all their, you know, the names of the players, like the autographs, essentially. Yep. I mean, they weren't real autographs, but they were like the stamps that they would used to do. And so um, I got one back and that was it. Like after that, like I was never not going to be a Cowboys fan, um, you know, cause I think it, it took a lot for an organization to do something like that for some random kid in New Jersey. Yeah. You know, so um, I just, I stayed a Cowboys fan my whole life, you know, and, and that's how it happened. I mean, yeah, I was probably influenced a little bit by my dad, but when that card came in, my dad's not a Cowboys fan anymore. Um, he hates Jerry Jones. He's hated him from day one. Yeah. Um, so my dad, I think my dad's like a Seahawks fan now. Um, he lives in Seattle, so it makes sense. But yeah, I, I've never, I've never wavered on it. 
so the the draft has come and gone. Yeah. Free agency is all but finished unless you you know if unless you want like slim pickings. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you how do you envision the 2022 Cowboys season going with basically uh only rookies being added? Look, I, I'm gonna say we're very lucky we're in the NFC East. Yeah. Right. And, and it's it's not that there isn't talent on this team. It's you got beat in the first round last year and you had a really up and down season. And you're thinking to you're not really adding much, you're adding hope, right? Yeah. And, and like, look, the, these rookies could all come out and be like the next, you know, Jerry Rice or whatever, right? Like you don't know what you're gonna get. Right. You do, but you don't, right? And so I think like the season will be okay, but I, I don't think this is the season they'll be making a push for anything, right? Like it's going to be, again, win the NFC East, you might win a playoff game, you may not, you know, it, it's going to be that kind of like treading water thing. Um, and, and it could go downhill fast. Like yeah. the, that's the other thing with the season is like, yeah, the defense can help and can help carry, but like if this offense takes a full step back instead of a half step mm-hmm. like this season can get real rough real fast so i think it'll be okay i, I mean i'm not i think if you were in like the nfc afc west or the nfc west yeah you might be looking at a different scenario yeah um but i mean you're in the nfc east and so they don't none of the teams really have a quarterback you know outside of the cowboys and that helps you know yeah and, and like the afc is so top heavy Oh, you know? it's so top heavy. I mean, you think they got like what eleven, maybe twelve teams who can compete? <laughs> that, you that's can crazy. You could make a case for almost every team in the AFC West. Yeah, and then you have like the NFC, which you're only looking at like four or five teams, really. You yeah. know, and we're probably, I, w- I would say we're the one from the NFC East, um, but some people would say the Eagles are. But it's just like you have like four or five top heavy in the NFC and then it's just like AFC it's like who knows who's coming out of there yeah and it's gonna it's gonna be wild and yeah like you said we're fortunate enough to play in the NFC East where we just beat up on lesser talent and that's what makes the Joneses happy like oh we you know we were able to do this you know within our division and make it to the playoffs we can get to the dance but after that we're not we're not truly tested look you're we're still probably the biggest money grab in media and you know like it is what it is, you know, and, and unfortunately, I, I think it's not that I don't think the Jones want to win because I think they do. Right. Like, yeah. I just think they want to do it their way. Yeah. They try, they try to go against the grain. Yeah. Well, you know, it, part of that's because, you know, way back, Jerry felt like he was owed more credit than, you know, like, so Jimmy got a lot of credit and yeah. Steve, uh, Jerry felt like he owed, he was owed more it's famously written that this was the case. That's mm-hmm. why they got into so many arguments. And so um, I think ever since Jerry and Steven have really been like, we're going to do, we're going to prove everybody wrong. And so far for 26 years, they've proven nobody wrong. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's that they don't want to. I just think they're very stubborn in the way they want to go about it. Yeah. Especially since you see like how we do things and then you look at the Rams, you know? Yep. <laughs> who yeah. just won a Super Bowl and then they're still doing what they're doing. And- I mean, a lot of other teams and, it, yeah. you know, it's, it's not so much that they, they don't do free agency because they do touch it, you know, like J Ron curse, love the pickup, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. They have players, but like a lot of it tends to be like the strikeout or home run. Yeah. Right. Like they don't go, this guy 
we know is going to be a solid player for us or going to be a really good player. Truly know you're picking yeah. up talent. It's either this guy might be good or he might suck really bad. He might be Dontari Poe or he could yeah. be Jaron Curse. Yeah. We don't know. And we're going to take the lowest possible co- risk cost wise yeah. for us. And if it hits, it hits. If it doesn't, no, no sweat off our back. Yeah. Um, so I think, I, yeah, I think that they need to look differently at free agency. Um, but I mean, Steven's going to Steven, as we know, and, yeah. you know, Adam Praska is going to do his cap stuff. Yep. Um, you know, it's, it's how it works. So. It's like we're shopping at yeah. TJ. We're shopping at TJ Maxx. You know, seventy percent clearance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what maybe, it feels. That's what maybe you find that one DKNY suit that they have stashed. You know, and you're like, that's what it feels yeah. like. That's that's Cowboys. <laughs> Cowboys football. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh wait, look at this. This is over here hiding in the corner. I found a gem. You know, but yep. a lot of times you you know you found the the five seasons ago you know <laughs> Nike shirt or something. Yeah. Dante Fowler, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so we all know that the the uh, the best past twenty six years, uh, we haven't sniffed a, a championship game. But what has been your favorite moment in those twenty six years? Ah, oh, my favorite moment. My favorite moment. I don't know. I mean, there were a couple of years there with with Romo where you felt like you had a shot. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the Des caught a game. Yeah. Like as, as crappy as that game went, like there was a moment there where you're like, this could happen and you believed. Right. Yeah. So, so I think those are like some really big, big times. Um, yeah. I, I think that the, the moment that the seasons where you like the few seasons where you realize the team had the talent, yeah. You know, like they may not have had the coaching or they may not have been able to uh, capitalize on it. But when you knew there, there was something special about it, you yeah. know, and there's been a couple of those, you know, probably three or four, you know, where you're like, they have the talent. Can they pull it together? And I, mm-hmm. I love those years. So that'd be like 2007, mm-hmm. uh, 14, and then probably 16. Mm-hmm. Those years. Yeah, the so, four, 14 that one hurts because like, you know, that was the game where like uh, that, you know, Seattle was undefeated at home and then, you know, the season prior and you go in there and you just run it down their throats the entire time, yep. you know, you beat green Bay and green Bay. And then if you, if you do, you're going back to Seattle, you probably beat them. And then you're going to the super bowl. Yep. And you know, that's what hurt because you were, you had it and it's not that it was stripped away from you, uh, but you know, DeMarco. Yeah. Yeah. That, that whole thing. That whole thing. Yep. Um, so uh, you can add any any one player to this current roster. Uh, salary cap be damned. Who are you adding and why? Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald. <laughs> Aaron Donald. Like, look, the, look, and I I could add, you know, I could say a whole bunch of names, but the reason I say Aaron Donald is this team needs help pass rush wise. Like right now, you're looking at a part time pass rusher in Micah Parsons because they're obviously they already said he's not going to be moved to edge full time. Mm-hmm. At least that's the plan at this very moment. Right. You know, Demarcus Lawrence, and you have a whole bunch of we hope they had they we hope they take the next steps, right? Yep. Or the guy that had one good season with the Rams, yeah, somehow has one more good season in them, right? Like, right. I think you need that. Plus, this team has gotten gashed up the middle consistently 
And I think somebody like an Aaron Donald would absolutely help transform the front end of this defense um, and make this defense truly a fear defense. I think that's the piece that I would, I would go with. I mean, I could easily say, you know, X wide receiver or this offensive lineman or like, I'll tell you what, Aaron Donald on this team, this defense would be scary. Yeah. So I obviously like there's no, uh, you can't really compare Aaron Donald to anybody because that's who he is. But do you think like, uh, I just seen a report today that, that Diggy, you know, he, he added some weight. Do you think that he could be like three quarters of what Aaron Donald is and play that one tech? I don't know because I, I think, I don't think Diggy has the, the explosiveness mm-hmm. that Aaron does, right? Like that's the thing about Aaron Donald is like, not only is he super strong and like freakishly, like just going to maul everybody. Yeah. Cause I think, I think he can get there, right? Like I think Diggy can get there. I think he has that kind of power. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is like Aaron Donald's a problem because yeah. his first step is like DeMarcus Lawrence first step, right? Like yeah. it's, the next thing you know he's in on you and guess what you've lost all leverage because of his strength and power yeah like i don't know if you can be three quarters maybe half yeah and i don't know that he has that explosiveness Mm -hmm. that donald has i think he can have the strength i think he can get there and i think he can be a great anchor at the one but i i can't look at at him and say yeah i'm gonna get a viable pass rush from him Due to his abilities, like I can Aaron Donald, like Aaron Donald will get double teamed and you're like, you know what? He still might get pressure here. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I, I just don't have that. I don't know if we have that type of guy on our team. Yeah. Was it last year? Was it last year that, or was it the year before where he blew up uh, Beatus and Connor Williams and then hit Zeke? And yeah, Dak's face like right away. Yeah, that's like three as plays. soon as the ball was getting like touched, yeah. it was like what the hell. Yeah, he didn't even yeah, get out all the way out of his drop. And he's a freak. He's, already he's an face. absolute freak. And so I, three quarters, no half, maybe. Yeah, you know, maybe sixty percent, but like, I just don't see the explosive to go along with the power. I just I don't know if it's there. Yeah. So, uh, you 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 have to unload two contracts uh, at this very second from this team. Which two are you dumping and why? Uh, the first one's going to be easy. It's going to be Zeke. Yeah, I knew that was great. Right. Like, well, look, I love Zeke. And he went to Ohio State, and I love Zeke. And, yep. you know, I, I don't get me wrong. Like, I'm a huge Zeke fan. But, like, in this day and age, it just is the way it is with running backs, right? Like, mm-hmm. short short life because they've been pounded for runs for years. Um and the value just isn't isn't what it used to be so i would say him because it's such a big contract for what the actual return you get is on the impact on the game right like the whole war thing and all of that right yep um so i'm gonna have to say him and the second one is a little odd because in reality it's there's not even like a full deal i'd probably say dalton schultz um you know he's tagged right now and he's tagged for a sizable sum yeah and and he's he's a little one dimensional, right? Like we know he can catch and we, he's seen him do some, some things in the passing game, but like, is he really a game changer to be making that kind of money? Right. I don't think so. Right. And I think you could put that towards, you could have put that towards another position of need that you had like defensive tackle or, or wide receiver, or I think there were some other things they probably could have done with that, but 
you know, they wanted to keep him and it's kind of where we're at with it. Yeah, he's almost like he's like a not a glorified wide receiver, but you know, he doesn't he doesn't do the dirty work like you would expect right. a high paying tight end to do. Like, but it's weird too, because like Ninjoku from Cleveland doesn't do that either. I mean, he's basically right. a wide receiver. But Njoku's probably a little more explosive. Oh, yeah. He's like right, like something like that. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably a little more explosive. I mean, you look at Schultz and I mean Schultz hasn't had a thousand, you know, like he he's not the he's not in that same level. Right. When you go back and actually watch it and look, he's not that same guy yeah. as those other guys, right? Like like an Njoku or you know, Kelsey or one of those guys. He's not that. But you're mm-hmm. making that, you're getting close to making that kind of money. And yeah. so I just I don't know if the value is really there for what he's getting paid. So those would probably be the two I would I would look at. Yeah. And I think a lot of that it's not uh it's like the route concepts too. Like, you know, he does have his seam routes that he runs that Dak hits him on most of the time, but you know, it's a lot of it's just hitches, you know, that, but that's the way Cowboys football has been, you know, as you like to say, Cowboys football. Yep. So, yeah, yep, I, w- I always like to, I would like to say, you know, the Jason Garrett thing with the, uh, with the prevent offense, you know, like it's, it's like they love prevent offense. I don't understand it. Yep. So in, in recent years, um, we've seen like college football, they move around to different places. They play ball um, in different places. Um, like, they went to the that NASCAR track in Bristol, like Tennessee did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the NFL has its international games. Which college venue do you think would make a for a great NFL experience? And which two teams would you put in that stadium? Man, it's hard because part of the venue comes with the rabidity of fans. Right. Yeah. Right. So like, like, if I say Tuscaloosa, right. Or if I say Ohio state, like part of that's because of yeah. the fans being a part of this game. Right. And the college mm-hmm. and the madness for the college. So, so it's really hard to kind of say, you know, I mean, we've seen, you know, LA and we've seen all that. I, I think it would be fascinating to watch somebody in like death Valley, right. Like Penn state to play. Right. And, and there you'd put like Philly versus Pittsburgh. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like do something fun like that. You know, if you're going to do it at Ohio state, make it Cleveland versus the Bengals. Yeah. You know, like, like if you're going to do it, make it so that you can hopefully maintain some of the, the rabidness of fans in that yeah. area to the teams local within that area. So I, I would, I mean, if I had to pick one personally, of course I'm a Buckeyes fan. So let's just say, you know, I would love to see a Bengals Browns game, you know, Ohio stadium. Yeah, like I, I think that would be fun or, you know, Penn State, you know, something like that, I think would be really fun to watch um, yeah. because it brings the local community in and yeah. it keeps the same, a similar fan base. So you might get a similar kind of like feel out yeah. of it. Yeah. And you're more likely to get like a 50 50 split, too. Yeah. You know, um, so. Down here, we're going to get to these last two questions so I can get you out of here. Uh, you name them, I'll tag them. Top yeah. three under underrated Twitter followers. So, so a lot of people want to go the cowboy stuff, and I'm going to do a Cowboys one. But one of my favorite follows, if you haven't followed her, uh, she used to be Double L Rock the Bells. Now it's Liz's Locker Room, um, and it's I love Liz. Uh, it's L I Z Z S underscore Locker Room. Okay. Um, Liz, for people who don't know her, she was uh, her, they actually took her and put her into the Boondocks, the show The Boondocks. Yeah. Um, she was a character in that. And um, she is hilarious. She is a great follow. 
Um, she talks football. She's a Redskins fan or excuse me, a Washington fan. Uh, but she's just, she's good people. I love, I love talking to her. Uh, she's really funny. Uh, so I would say Liz's locker room. Okay. Um, the second one I would say is TVJ flow F L O. Uh, for those who know that's Jesus Flores. Yep. Uh, he actually used to work for WFAA, um, and ends up, he actually works for the VA now. Okay. Uh, good dude really knows his Cowboys really knows football. Um, and is a really, really good dude, Marine. Um, you know, just, just a really good guy. Um, you know, and I could throw out there, you know, like not to be trite, I can put CD, I could put LP in there. I like, I could put some, some people in there. Um, I'm going to say, uh, one of my favorites is my editor actually Reed D Hansen. Yep. I don't think enough people follow Reed Absolutely. and Reed, Reed's football knowledge is absolutely insane and his mm -hmm. understanding of the analytics and his understanding of just the whole the whole picture on the field yep. like he's really really good at it um and he comes at it with a very open mind yep uh, for most of his stuff so I would say Reed D Hansen um I I think if you're not following him you're doing yourself a disservice yeah he's one of my favorites because like like you said he's very good at analytics but he also ties in you know, the gameplay from, you know, mm -hmm. you got your game footage too. So you, he sees it from both sides and yep. that helps you become a, you know, not like a, like a couch quarterback and mm -hmm. see it both ways. So last question here, you can move anywhere in the world. Where are you packing up and taking the old lady to? Man, anywhere in the world. Um, so there's actually a place in, so my wife and I did a Europe trip recently mm -hmm. and one of the places, um, was uh oh it's why am i drawing a blank all of a sudden it's um ah where they filmed um game of thrones uh help me out here iceland no no no, no. no it wasn't iceland um gosh i'm drawing a blank uh anyway so my wife and i did this trip yeah. we go to italy we go to greece um we go to montenegro we went to malta um and then we went to croatia that's where it was. Okay. Yeah. Croatia. Um, and there is a place on there called ghost Island. Um, and it's for sale. Now there's a whole history to it. It used to be like a Nazi internment camp. And it's like, has this horrible history. I would raise that whole Island. It has electricity to it, man. Let me tell you, it's right outside the, the city where they filmed uh, game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. That was such a beautiful area like yeah. that or Germany, like those two areas are probably where anywhere in the world I would, I would immediately go to. Um, and I would say the other third one would be Indonesia. Um, speaking Indonesian, having seen parts of it, man, it is, it is an amazing country, um, yeah. with a lot to do. Um, so in order, it would probably be Croatia, Germany, Indonesia. Yeah, I mean, I've been to Croatia. I went. I was uh, there for two weeks. It was Zagreb. I did. I worked there for two weeks. So it was like the city, kind of. But like, I got to see the countryside, which was pretty cool. Um, and I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever been to, to Germany. And obviously, I've never been to the to the Southeast Asia. But yeah, they're, they're, those are definitely on the bucket list. But Croatia is a beautiful place. Like that entire they have that that coastline. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yep. Beautiful. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Now yeah. I will say one of my, my bucket list items is Chernobyl. I want to go see Chernobyl. Pripyat. Yeah. I actually yeah. want to go to Pripyat. And my wife's like, absolutely not. I am not going. <laughs> so I want to go. And she's like, if you go, you have to find somebody to go with. So 
I, one day I want to get to Pripyat and I got to find somebody to go with because my wife is like, I am not getting radiation poisoning. And I'm like, come on, it'll be fine. You just want to see the giant Ferris wheel? <laughs> I, I want to see the whole thing. Like, yeah. I just think that whole city is fascinating to me. That whole area, that whole incident. I mean, yeah. I was alive for it, but like, it's just, it's crazy. I would love to see it. So yeah, it's my bucket list item. All right, uh, Dan, where, where can we find you at on Twitter, writing, podcast, YouTube? Yeah, so uh, Sport DFW, of course, or through Fansided. Um, you can find me on 4D, Podcast 4D or 4D Podcast. Um, we're on Apple and all of that. And then uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dan underscore Rupert, R-U-P-P-E-R-T. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the, the big places you'll find me. All righty. Well, thanks thanks again so much for coming on tonight. I uh, really appreciate Thank it. Yeah, what's up? It's my pleasure. Yeah, yeah, it was fun finally getting to talk to you. So, uh, and and go Cowboys. Yeah, uh, as always, go Cowboys.